0: Hi, I'm Sheila McCarthy. You might remember me as Amisha from Star Trek Discovery, and you're listening to Trek Untold.
1: Welcome to Trek Untold, the podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. The concept of this Trek Untold podcast has always been to highlight the people whose contributions to Star Trek are often swept under the rug, and not given their just due. Often, these are character actors who are constantly working around Hollywood and popping up in everything, because that's what these chameleons do best. However, it's not unusual for Star Trek to attract more well-known guests, and sometimes, and sometimes the franchise snags one that is bigger than we realize. That would describe today's guest, Sheila McCarthy. Sheila is one of the most decorated performers we've spoken to on this show. She's accomplished a lot in her career on stage, screen, and cinema. But because most of that has been in her home country of Canada, we don't realize the impressive body of work that a performer like Sheila has. She's a two-time Genie Award winner, the equivalent of an Oscar in America, a two-time Gemini winner, which is basically Canada's Emmy. And she's won Dora and Actra Awards, along with many nominations across these. Sheila appeared in the Season 2 episode of Star Trek Discovery, New Eden, when she played a matriarchal character named Amisha. Outside of Star Trek, Sheila's resume stretches on with some very big productions, but again, for an American like me, a good portion of it is things I wasn't too familiar with. But, of course, that's what doing research fixes, and where you're going to have a chat with someone like Sheila. You can't go into an interview like this unarmed. Now, that's not to say that Sheila hasn't worked in some things that we would know here in America, because she's had plenty of big appearances in Hollywood blockbusters, including Die Hard 2, The Day After Tomorrow, and her breakthrough role, which transcended arthouse cinema and became a little bit of a mainstream film for quite some time, I've Heard the Mermaid Singing. But you might know her most recently as Agnes on the Umbrella Academy, and we're going to talk about that along with some other notable roles from her career. Sheila's shy and humble demeanor hides a great deal of power, charisma, and knowledge that shines exuberantly whenever you see her, and her career is one absolutely worth spotlighting. Before we jump into our interview, I want to remind everyone to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trek Untold, and that's all one word, no spaces. You can also support this show by visiting patreon.com slash trek untold. If you want to check out some of our merch and put Trek Untold on a shirt, hoodie, mug, sticker, or something else, head on over to teespring.com stores slash trek untold to proudly display how much you like this podcast. And if you do happen to get some Trek Untold merch, go ahead and tag us on social media and let us know you got it. We'd love to see it. But most of all, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast and to leave a rating and a review. There is a lot of Star Trek podcasts out there, as I'm sure you already know. And leaving ratings and reviews helps people find us when they're searching for these types of shows. If you're already following us or offering your support in whatever way you can, be it a follow, review, monetarily, or even just listening today, thank you for the help. There's a family of Star Trek podcasts out there, and we appreciate you joining us here each and every week on the show. I'd also like to make a quick shout out to our friends at Triple Fiction Productions, who make some great 3D printed Star Trek inspired products for toys and people. But you'll hear more about them a little bit later on in the show. Now, without further ado, let's beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file.
2: Affirmative. Initiating program.
1: And welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining me on the other side of the line, we have one of Canada's most celebrated actresses. She has won major awards for film, television, and stage. And she's now part of the Star Trek universe. That person is Sheila McCarthy. Sheila, how are you today?
0: I'm fine, thank you. Nice to be here.
1: Thanks so much for connecting with us today. So uh, question number one is, what is your earliest memory of Star Trek?
0: Oh, wow, that's such a great question because I... Um I, I, well, I watched every episode of of the early show the William Shatner show um after school my my earliest memory was coming racing home after school getting some Frito chips and some orange juice and sitting <laughs> down and watching Star Trek I uh, yeah, just loved it it was weirdly on after school I guess you mm-hmm. know which yeah in Canada anyway and um yeah we we were all glued to it yeah. loved it That would have been, you know, probably, you know, grade six, grade five, grade six. Uh, Yeah.
1: So where did you grow up exactly? Uh, What did your parents do? And more importantly, what did little Sheila want to be when she grew up?
0: So I grew up in Toronto um, and my father was a doctor and uh, my mom was um, occupational therapist slash homemaker Um, and uh, came from a family of five kids. And uh, I very early on wanted to be a dancer, wanted to be a ballet dancer. It was from watching the Nutcracker Ballet on television. And so mom and dad sent me to ballet school. um, And that didn't, I mean, it lasted for a long time. I was a professional dancer for many years, but I was never really particularly concerned about that triple pirouette. You know what (laughs) I mean? I was, I, 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 my first role because it was a, more of a musical theater school. We did tap ballet, jazz shows um, right away. I was in front of audiences almost immediately. I was the Wicked Witch of the West and the Wizard of Oz. And I got, I remember, a lot of laughter and audience attention from doing that, playing that part, and that just sealed the deal for me that <laughs>
1: dancing was never
0: going to be enough. <laughs> I needed to hear the roar of the crowd. So, um, But that's how I started.
1: And so ultimately, uh, where did you go to pursue this craft and to perfect your skills?
0: Well, um, I, I became a professional dancer at the Charlottetown Festival in Prince Edward Island in Canada, um, and actually, um, many of the shows, Gower Champion Gower Champion, took to Broadway, uh, one of which was a rock opera of Hamlet, and they were going to take us all, and then they only took Beverly D'Angelo was in the show. Uh. And that, that was her launch in New York in the rock opera of Hamlet, of all things. Um, but, um, I danced professionally, uh, went and then, uh, went to university out west in, in Canada, uh, for a year. And that was okay. But it wasn't quite enough. And then I got a Canada Council grant, which is an amazing um, foundation in Canada that enables students to travel abroad. And I went to New York for a year and studied with the one and only Uta Hagen um, down in the village. So I lived in New York for a year and studied with her and sort of hid my tap shoes and opened my mouth. And really, she taught me so much about about it. And, And then... Uh, came back and, you know, continued d- d- to take college courses and workshops and stuff. But Uda but Hagen in New York was definitely uh, the penny dropped.
1: We talked about Uda Hagen a few times on the show previously. A few other folks who have come through have actually mentioned her name, and she's a very, very important name to talk about in the world of New York oh, acting. Yes
0: was the queen. It was Uta Hagen, the method. Um, and, and honestly, she had thousands and thousands and thousands of, of students. And I, she came to Stratford once, uh, in Canada and she gave a talk and, and she said her nightmare was that she was in the operating room having emergency surgery. And she looked up and the doctor would say, I was in your class, Miss Hagen. I studied acting. <laughs> she, she taught so many people, but her way of teaching was interesting because, It was not, um, it it suited me as a dancer. You know, when you're a dancer, you do plies, you do, you, you, you work your body every day. Her idea, her idea of acting was, was quite a practical approach as one might become a plumber, one would become an actor, not pretentious. And it was really, it suited my sensibility somehow.
1: What would you say is the lesson that you remember the most from Uda that's really stuck with you today?
0: Oh, this is great! I was doing a, I was doing a scene, in uh, we, it was all scene studies. So I have my scene partner and I were doing a scene from a Neil Simon, and um, play and uh, Prisoner on Second Avenue. And there's a scene where the couple come in to their house, and their house has been robbed, and what happens after that? You know what what the the hysteria. And I, of course, played the scene like Lady Macbeth um, came in screaming tearing my hair out you know oh my god and finished the scene and it was very quiet in the class and Uta Hagen said let me tell you a story she was in the Hamptons with in her house her house caught fire she went next door to her neighbor the neighbor answered the door and Uta Hagen said to her I've got this Very cool fire going on next door. Do you want to come over and see it in a really calm voice? And it was such a lesson for me in comedy and in what people really do in moments of crisis. And it it just flipped my brain. It just, you know, it just, it it was just not playing the obvious, going for the more subtle. And it was a great lesson.
1: And so you also trained with Second City in Toronto, correct, where you learned about improv.
0: That's right. John Candy was my teacher. Oh, wow. And I actually was a waitress at Yak Yuck Yaks, which was a comedy bar. And Robin Williams came in one night and we struck up a conversation. I'd seen him um, on happy days and he, more hadn't happened yet. And he was, he was ready to quit the business. He'd had, he wanted to move to the California mountains somewhere and open a Serenity Tank Emporium with his wife. That was his plan. And I went, oh, what a shame that would be. But he came to my Second City class with me, and and we went for coffee. And um, it was very – he wasn't Robin Williams yet. You know, he was just – he was Mork from Happy Days, but not Mork. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. But Second City was great. I had an opportunity to go to Chicago and join the company, but I never pursued it. It just wasn't – I just wasn't in my wheelhouse. It wasn't. I just. I didn't want to stream into just that, and I'm not sure I had the uh, the chops to. It, it was a pretty misogynist world at that time. I don't mm. know if it still is, but I just. I. I. I don't think I had the a thick enough skin to survive to survive it.
1: Yeah, comedy at that time it did seem to be very much a boys' club kind of thing. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've spoken to a few ladies, in fact, uh, who have done improv also. Some in California, in particular, did some, some time at some pretty well known places and uh, they learned a lot of good lessons as well. So, kind of similar question with uh, what I just asked about Uda, but what was the most important lesson that you picked up during your time learning improv? Oh,
0: learning improv definitely is never to negate. It's, I mean, that's just, that's like, you know, the cardinal rule, but it is, when you are nervous or when you are in a situation you go oh i'm not feeling it the first thing you want to do is negate the first thing to go nah i don't know what you you know and that is the it just it, it it is such a wonderful lesson to learn um really it's a life lesson um into listening and not judging and
1: and uh going you know um saying yes so sheila what is your first professional gig once you get out there
0: um so my first professional gig uh was I played a a kind of a Santa Christmas fairy I had to it at a, a department store and it was for Santa's breakfasts <laughs> at the Bay which is like Macy's in Canada and I had to hide in the box and all these kids would come in <laughs> and have pancake breakfast with Santa and then I pop at a certain time I would pop out of the box with my music cue and sing a song and it was just a hideous experience (laughs) (laughs) so that's one of my first gigs I think I got paid a hundred bucks every Saturday morning and that was a lot of money for me at the time that
1: that is pretty decent money yeah
0: (laughs) it was worth hiding in that stupid box (laughs) do
1: you remember what your first time on a set was and for your first gig on set
0: My first time, I one of my first times on set was I did a double episode of The Littlest Hobo.
1: I was going to ask um, you about that, because that's, you know, on, on this show, normally we have a few shows we always ask folks about, but you being uh, in Canada, primarily, you know, your show is going to be very uh, different from what we see. So normally I'm asking about Murder, She Wrote and Golden Girls. But yeah, today we had to totally talk about Little is Hobo, which for folks in America who don't know, it's yeah. basically, it's like Murder, She Wrote with a dog. Uh, <laughs>
0: yes, it is. Oh my God. It's about a German I'm...
1: shepherd dog who roams the Great White North helping people, solving mysteries, writing wrongs. Uh, you can find yeah, a lot yeah. of them on YouTube. It's a lot of fun.
0: It's a lot of fun. It's Lassie. It's Lassie with the German Shepherd, really. It's, you know, the the barn's on fire. We have to save you rusty, you know, and uh, what I did not realize, and believe me, I really didn't know what I was doing. But what I did not realize was that the, the dog, well, of course, the dog was the star of the show. The cameras were all at dog height, which yeah. is hilarious. <laughs> and don't look at the dog. Don't talk to the dog you know it's like you're the dog because the trainers are there and you couldn't you know break their concentration the trailers that the dogs had were so beautiful to this day i have not had a trailer like this um so that was i played little french maid it was a double but it was a great experience and actually the biggest movie i ever did in canada which was called i've heard the mermaid singing i got because i did the littlest Tobo. the director saw me in it so there you go
1: yeah, Littlest Hobo is a lot of fun. And folks, you can actually catch that on YouTube. I don't know, Sheila, if you are even aware, it's on YouTube right now. You can watch both parts of that. So if you want to subject yourself to that, it is there. It is? <laughs> it is there. I found it.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> with my bad French accent.
1: With the Yes, <laughs> with the French accent. I'm not going to say it's bad. I thought it was a fun episode. I thought you did really well. Uh, it's oh, a cute okay. episode. And yeah, it's my first time really watching Littlest Hobo that much. Um, since yeah, I'm just a uh, Yankee up here in America. But uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's worth checking out. Okay. But since you did mention uh, I've Heard the Mermaid Singing, I do want to ask you about that because that was really, I think, a breakout role for you in particular and a very amazing piece of film. Uh, It's, uh, you know, it's amazing now because that was something you did back in 1987 and to this day it's still very much uh, considered a modern classic for LGBT cinema. Uh, In fact, I actually have it right here. Uh, Roger Ebert in his review called you a naturally funny and winsome actress and uh, both he and Gene Siskel very much were remarking about how much they loved your performance and Rightfully so, this movie earned a lot of accolades. You did an amazing job And it. You don't need to hear that from me. You already know that it was an amazing work, amazing piece of work. Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about "I've Heard the Mermaid Singing."
0: Well, you know, it's funny. Um, it's funny how careers go. I, I had just lost a big. The Americans were just coming to Canada, like our dollar had dropped, so they were coming to, to Canada to shoot.
1: I apologize I just, on behalf of my country.
0: <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I've, I've done a lot of work because of it. Um, but it, it, the, um, I just lost a, an American series called VH Adderley, and I was heart. Broken because it was, and again, this was early days for me. I really, although I had studied acting in New York, I was still doing musical theater a lot. I was still, you know, you get sort of locked into things and and work is work. And so, um when I lost VH Adderley which I felt entirely entitled to, which is was a ridiculous attitude, I was asked to go and audition for this little Canadian movie being made for two hundred thousand dollars called "I've Heard the Mermaid Singing" on a Saturday morning, and I was like, okay, I'll go all right. And, and I went to the audition and it was fine. And then I got called back and I went, Oh, all right. And, and it, you know, it was a young filmmaker, Patricia Roseman She had, she had me in four times. And by the time I got to the fourth audition, um the part was mine. I, it was, you know, and you've seen them, like lots of monologues. There's only three people in the movie. So it was like a big, big part. And, I learned the lines and I just at the end of the audition and I've never done this again, I said to her, you have to give me this part. Nobody else can play this part. Please give me this part. And she did. And we laugh about that to this day, but it was, you know, oh my goodness. I had never met Patricia, but she wrote this, you know, sort of Walter Mitty quintessential underdog of the universe with a heart of gold. And it was as though it just fit me like a glove. Like she just, it was like, she wrote, somebody said she wrote your clown shield. And I said, well, I didn't know I had a clown, but there you go. And it was, um, a hellish experience. 18 days of night shoots. I wanted to die. I was so tired. I had no idea that filmmaking was that hard. (laughs) I just wanted to go to bed. So, but we got through it and I never thought anybody would watch it. And then it exploded. It got accepted into the director's fortnight at the Cannes Film Festival. And I was nominated for our Canadian Oscar here and won. And, and it was, it just, um, you know, Woody Allen came calling and CAA came calling and, and, um, uh, it was, uh, and, um, just a crazy time in my life. of um, and I just thought, I'm just the biggest huge biggest star in the world. I was so happy. I just thought this is great. This is going to be like that my whole career is going to be like this now. But it was great. It, I still get people coming up. Yeah, I, I met a woman recently. I was hosting a benefit and she said, "You know, I moved to Canada after I saw that movie because I loved Canada." And and it, did, it was unapologetically Canadian in the sense that it showed Toronto to be the beautiful city that it was. No movie had done that. It was the beginning of An amazing time in Canadian film that kind of didn't last. Mm. And uh, thank you, America. But, um, you know, it's coming back. And um, so I'm I'm very proud of that movie and and felt very lucky.
1: It's a very bold movie that still very much holds up to today's standards and and also just very groundbreaking for 87, what they were trying to accomplish and what they did accomplish.
0: Well, I loved it that, they, that, they, that, they, that the whole sort of lesbian story in it was inadvertent. It didn't, it wasn't about that. It was a, so secondary to, to the story. And I just thought that was a sophisticated, um, uh, you know, take on the whole thing. And, and although, you know, it was embraced, of course, by many communities, um, it was a bigger story than that. And, and, but it made it more important. It made it that much more respectfully important.
1: So it's great. So you mentioned uh, you were doing some work in New York and on theater as well. I I really couldn't find out too much about what shows you'd worked on. So I'd love to know if you don't mind uh, just kind of letting us know a few of the stage productions that you've worked on in New York and around the nation and or rather right. I should say domestically and internationally since you're up in the great white north there too. Oh, <laughs> right.
0: uh, well, my, my one big almost trip to Broadway was I did a musical of Harvey, Uh, you know, the, the, the based on the, the movie
1: about uh, the rabbit. rabbit.
0: A movie about the rabbit and um, Jimmy Stewart. And um, it was a musical called Say Hello to Harvey um, uh, and with Donald O'Connor huh. playing Elwood P. Dowd. And we opened in Toronto and it wasn't very successful. Like it was, you know. <sighs> It should have been and it wasn't. So so that went away. Um and, and then I, I toured um in, in uh as a dancer and in, in many musicals like the boyfriend and um the rock opera of Hamlet, Johnny Belinda, and of Green Gables, uh across North America when I was much younger. Um but most of my work in the States has been TV and film in, in California. Um I did the last season of Picket Fences, um, a Disney movie called Paradise. Die Hard 2. And uh, so so most of my work down there has been in TV and film.
1: Well, I do know there was one production that I saw on your resume that's fairly interesting and also pretty important to you. Uh, I saw that you did a punk rock version of Godspell. <laughs> and that's also, I believe, how you met your husband, Peter Donaldson, correct? That's
0: right. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, it, and and Brent Carver, who we just lost, who won the Tony for Kiss of the Spider Woman in New York, uh, played Jesus. Um, yeah, we were – it was – you know, you can't really do Godspell as a – you know hateful punk rock people it doesn't work it just does not work um but we had a lot of fun doing doing it yeah it was that was part of a whole uh repertory company in in london here that um and that was one of the shows that that we did there was a, a roster of about eight different shows yeah it's great good
1: time i'd love to hear the story about how you actually met your husband if you don't mind telling us that
0: Oh, so, well, uh, I I was, there was a man standing in front of him, Chris Britton, who's a very good friend, and he was, very he was, I just, fin- I was a workout queen, I was teaching the, cl- the company workout classes in the Jane Fonda vein, you know, as one does, and um, <laughs> I just finished a class, and Chris was like, hey, really nice to meet you, and I looked behind, and I saw this guy in red sweatpants, and I went, hey, nice to meet you, who, wonder who this is shook his hand fell in love and that was it (laughs) we were like it was love like i it sounds so corny but it was love at first sight for sure he was a wonderful actor um we had we have two beautiful daughters um i lost pete uh almost 10 years ago now to cancer so um but we had 28 years of bliss as i remember it
1: What's it like being married to somebody who's also an actor? and you guys giving each other advice, tips, or are you guys kind of keep that separate yeah. from each other?
0: You know, Pete Pete also studied with Uta Hagen in, in New York. Pete was um, the real deal. Like, I've always felt like a bit of a, you know, not f- fraud, but, but, but Pete was a Shakespeare. Like, Pete, we lived in Stratford, um, the Stratford Festival, you know, the biggest theater in North America. He did season after season after season playing huge, big, parts um in the shakespeare canon um and uh, you know he was the real deal he he was his his approach to acting was just you know meat and potatoes and he was whereas mine was much more please like me and i'm so excited to have this be a big huge movie star kind of thing um and so but uh my trajectory sort of went into film and tv his stayed much more in theater. So that was good for us. Um, because, and we never really competed. Like how can, like, it's just, you know, we, it, and we often didn't really talk about it because, um, you know, our, our, our directions were different, but you know, we were living it. And actually both of our daughters, one is a producer now, one's a graphic artist, but I think we killed their <laughs> ambition to be on the stage. It's so hard, you know, it's so hard and it comes and it goes and they saw all the rejection that we faced. You know, it's tough.
1: So another film I want to talk about real quickly is uh, one you did with Liza Minnelli, which is Stepping Out. And I think you're the first person we've had on the show who's worked with Liza. So I'd like to hear any stories you have about being on that in that production.
0: That was uh, an amazing kind of Hollywood experience. We shot it in Toronto for three months. I was committed to doing, I did a pilot of Steel Magnolias in Los Angeles um, with Elaine Stretch and Sally Kel, um, no, sorry, um, who else was Cindy, uh, Cindy Williams, uh, Polly Bergen, among others. And so I was committed to that. And then the makeup artist, Christine Smith, who did all of Liza's work said, I'm, I'm shooting a movie in Canada. You're a dancer. You should really try and get on it. Cause I know there's parts and blah, 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 stepping out. And it's a, you know, a, a tap class and Liza Minnelli's playing the tap teacher, Mavis. And, um, so anyway, long story short, they had cast, Mary Steenburgen in my part, but I met the director anyway. And for some reason, Mary Steenburgen fell out. I sent Liza. I've heard the mermaid singing Mm -hmm. because Christine, the makeup artist said she loves that movie. That's a movie that she would like to have done. It reminded her of sterile cuckoo or, you know, uh, her, her kind of quirky movies that she did. I love you, Junie moon when she was younger. And so I sent her mermaids and she really orchestrated my meeting the director um, and Lewis Gilbert, uh, who was fantastic, and it and it worked out. And Liza and I became great, great friends. We are great friends to this day um, through Thick and Thin, and she was amazing on set. Uh, do we have time to tell one story?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we have as much time as you want to give today.
0: Okay. So, so she – it was her day off, and I was playing an abused – woman, Andy, whose husband is abusive. And I am taking tap classes secretly, but he finds out. And so over breakfast, he says, Oh, you can tap dance. Show me, get up, tap for me. And it's a scene where I had to tap dance for my abusive husband and cry sob. And it's like, you know, one of those big scenes as an actor, you go, Oh God, today's the day I have to go down that rabbit hole. Liza came in, she stood next to the camera, and every time the cameras rolled, she looked at me with those big brown eyes, and she just whispered, it's okay. And honestly, to this day, when I have, you know, tricky scenes like that, where you got to get there, I imagine that face beside the camera telling me that it's okay. And there's nothing better. It was... Beautiful. So she's an amazing woman. She, you know, she she really had a big hand in directing that film. And, you know, um, I wish that she had done more directing, that she would do more directing, because her innate, canny sense of human nature, and she's just amazing that way.
1: So, yeah, great woman. I always do find it interesting when directors basically have enough power and presence to know to give you direction. That's basically like three or four words, or yep. in this case, two words. That's, that's a really impressive uh, yeah. thing to be able and to do. She
0: wasn't directing the movie, but she was just there. She just knew. And it was a, a powerful thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I pursued a, um, a talk show called, um, Bedheads with a with Deb McGrath who lives in Canada. She's, um, married to Colin Mockery, who does whose line is it anyway? We, we conceived this idea of, you know, bit, having stars in bed with us. And Liza flew up to Toronto and jumped into bed with us. And oh, my God, we had so much fun. The show (laughs) never happened, but I still have the footage of Liza Minnelli in bed with us singing lullabies and talking about trick or treating at Danny Kaye's house. How cool is that?
1: (laughs) That's pretty crazy. (laughs) More so the fact that there's more to that sentence besides I had Liza Minnelli in my bed. Even that alone (laughs) is pretty awesome. But yeah. I
0: know.
1: I know. Yeah. So one of your big roles in America, people might know you for, is Die Hard 2. And mm-hmm. you play the character of Samantha Coleman, a news reporter who is basically just bumping into Bruce Willis's character a ton throughout the movie. Very important towards the end, especially. Uh, that must have been just a very intense and, and hectic shoot. What, what do you remember about Die Hard 2? Okay, so,
0: well, I've got a great story about Die Hard 2. So I, I would love to tell it to you, um, since I've bored everybody in Canada with it. but <laughs> It's, 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 it's I, 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 fresh it's, here on Trek uh, Untold. Okay, very good. I, I tell... I teach college students a, a comedy film course, and I love to tell them this story because it's a lesson. Um, so I auditioned, I auditioned for Renny Harlan for, um, Die Hard 2. And on, and I had just won the Canadian Oscar for Mermaids. So I was like, whatever, it's a 12 line part in a big action movie. Not really my thing. I probably won't get it. Like, and yeah, I was kind of like going, well, whatever. It's just not a big, but I auditioned and, with um, Joel Silver was the producer, terrifying, and Rennie Harlan, great guy, um, got the part. I got it. And it was like my managers in California were like, wow, this is huge. And I'm going, is it? Like, okay, great. Okay. So I got back to Canada. And Bruce Willis had casting approval and wanted to meet me. New York so they sent a private plane to Stratford Ontario where I was living to New York to Manhattan where I was to go to I can't remember what the hotel was on the east upper east side to meet Bruce Willis and at the at the front desk I was to ask for George King George was his father's name and King was just a name he picked and I Um, and it was when Demi Moore, they were, he was married to Demi Moore and they, he, she was shooting ghost. So that tells you how long ago it was. So I got there in my little power suit and I met Bruce and Demi and I, as soon as they opened the door, sidebar story, really good friends of theirs in Manhattan, also live in Stratford in the summer, really good friends of mine. So I copped familiarity and said, Oh, uh, a rumor was in Demi's arms, and and I said, oh, I've seen pictures of your daughter. Um, I know my friend Martha is a children's clothing designer, and I've seen pictures of Rumor in her clothes. And Bruce and Demi kind of shut down. And I thought, oh, this is this this went south. I and so I sat in their penthouse, and he took phone calls, and he said, I don't know if you're going to get the part, and. She disappeared and and I left and the part was taken out of the movie. So I got, I, I sat on that for a couple of days back at my little farm in Stratford and then I wrote him a letter. I wrote a letter to Mr. George King and I said, you know, somebody gave you a big break when you got your TV series Moonlighting and I really think that Sam Coleman in Die 2 is such a small part. I, I really think it couldn't mean anything to you and I would really appreciate it if you could help an actor. Um, and maybe put the part back in the movie and maybe let me play it. And he did. He did. And the only thing he ever said to me on set, um, because that movie was really, we couldn't find snow and it was the big snow diehard over Christmas. And so we were in all, we ended up in a soundstage in Los Angeles and he walked by me one day and he said, and the only thing he said to me was, I got your effing letter. (laughs) But you know what? That was a lesson for me to be more respectful and to, you know, like just because I had friends in common, you don't have to play that card. Bruce will listen to me more. We're not going to be my new best friends. And I, you know, almost learned the hard way. So there you go. (laughs) And honestly, the movie was, oh, my gosh, it took a long time to shoot because they couldn't find snow. And this is before – um you guys were coming up to shoot in Canada you know cuz we could have shot it in northern alberta and it would have there, there were there's always snow so um yeah it was a long long oh, shoot it was you know i had never been in a big epic action thing where the actors are such a small part of of the, uh, the, you know, you're a tiny cog in a wheel, but, um, but I'm glad I did it. You know what I mean? And it was, it, it, you know, people still know, you know, I'm doing this cam- on cameo and I'm going, you know, die hard too. And people go, Oh my God, Sam Coleman. It's like, wow, that was a long time ago. <laughs> crazy.
1: And one of your scenes was also in a uh, helicopter, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. That was, um, yeah, that was crazy, crazy. A uh, part of it was in a soundstage, and then part of it and when i jump out of the helicopter we were inside and it was snowing and it was soap flakes And i just remember going one of the last shots with me and the photographer is me going yeah you know i say don't you know don't film his reunion with his wife and my eyes were burning from soap but it was like oh get me out of here <laughs> oh <dear> god <laughs>
1: And so one last thing before we jump into Star Trek, and that's Day After Tomorrow with Jake Gyllenhaal and Dennis Quaid, another big epic also. Uh, What do you remember about that film?
0: Oh, gosh. Well, um, uh, it was Roland Emmerich, great director. He he was just this great kind of Peter Pan who never wanted to work. He just wanted to talk. And Jake just, just great, and very inclusive, and that was like a polar opposite to the diehard experience. We were all in, um, I think, an old IKEA set um, outside of Montreal, uh, and they turned it into the library, and and that was all shot inside, except for I think one shot in the in the Black Hawk um, at the end. Um, Jed Gyllenhaal was just dreamy. Oh, like he just knew everybody's name. He was so friendly, so much fun to work with, and um, we had a blast. It was a really fun experience, um, and, and very much of an ensemble. We were all there all the time, and uh, every, like right from the right from the top, people were were um, generous of spirit. It was a really fun, fun, fun
2: movie to do. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props, or toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D printed Trek-inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalogue. Whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film, or part of a cosplay, or accessories and playsets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, Visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. We now return to Trek Untold.
1: All right. So Sheila, let's beam up now into our Star Trek discussion. And you appeared in season two of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, You played Amisha, the all-mother of New Eden, the matriarch of a society whose beliefs are a compound religion of the various fates from Earth 100 years ago. So how did you get cast into Star Trek Discovery? And more importantly, did you actually know you were auditioning for Star Trek Discovery?
0: Interesting. The script was very secretive. So what you see in the show was completely different from the sides that I got um, to audition with. The tone was the same. It was, you know, the the sort of hippie, culty kind of, um, you know, spiritress of a a leader of the planet Terralysium was was very much there. Um, And Uh, you know, you do these self-tapes and they go off into the ethers and you just never know. So it was, but it was a fun audition. And then I got cast and, and um, the, oh my God, Jonathan, Jonathan Frakes directed. And I had not um, kept up watching Star Trek as much as, uh, you know, the the Trekkies, Um, but I certainly knew him. And that was an honor to work with him. And what, a speaking of generosity of spirit, he was fantastic. And um, it was a tough shoot. Like it was really, I had a lot to say. It was, you know, uh, Medea for me. (laughs) It was very theatrical, pages and pages and pages of text. I worked harder on that than I think of of Anything I've ever done, like I was so det- I was so uh, proud to to get an episode of Star Trek, and um, uh, I wanted to get it right. And I knew that the set would be hundreds of extras, <laughs> fires burning, special effects. You know, I, I knew that the the pressure would be would be huge, and it
1: was. So you mentioned Jonathan Frakes had directed this episode, and he's directed, of course, plenty of Star Trek aside from being in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you describe his? style of directing
0: he's larger than life and he his um his expectations of you as an actor are through the roof so you just do not want to disappoint he is he's your biggest cheerleader he introduces you to casting crew he is and he you know knows everybody's name he is like your best friend immediately like he's known you forever and you know that doesn't always happen, um, especially in uh, television, which is, you know, fast and furious, you know, get it done, get it out. Um, but he, he, he raised the bar so high on the set that you, you work that much harder to, to, um, be the person that he expects you to be. And it is an, it's an incredible, I had a choreographer once who was like that, you know, he praised you when your jetes were good to the point where they, that then you wanted to be that much better. And I've always been that person that, that you know, I, I've always reacted as an actor way, way better when somebody tells me, my God, we're so lucky to have Sheila McCarthy on the set. And I go, <laughs> Oh God. Okay. I'm, I will rise to the occasion. So, but honestly, he is a champion. And then after we shot the whole thing in the can, wrapped, done, we had to reshoot. Ah. About a month later, I was called in. And listen, when I finish a gig, those lines, <laughs> that text disappears into the ethers from my brain forever. And when my agent called me, i like, guess what? They need more information about the planet Terra Elysium. They're not happy with, with the detail. We have to reshoot. I was like, oh my God, what is. I'm going to die. So I, But then they said, I don't think it's the whole thing. And I got to set, and Jonathan was there, and he came in the makeup trailer, and he tricked me, and he went, yeah, oh, no, we are doing the whole thing. And I was going, I'm going to kill you. Oh, my God, please tell me we're not doing the whole thing. And it turned out to be like three lines. But, (laughs) oh, my God, I wanted to kill him. But anyway, it was a a blast to work with him again anywhere, anytime. Like, oh, my goodness, he is just – the greatest
1: guy in the world Now, normally when we talk star trek and actors who have appeared on it we're talking about them either wearing a starfleet uniform or some crazy prosthetics but in your case you're in a much different outfit how would you like the wardrobe and makeup for this one i imagine it's probably pretty comfy
0: oh it was so beautiful that and that 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 Dark and the, the attention to detail, like being in the wardrobe fittings, again, it was like being at, at the Stratford Festival where, you know, wardrobe fittings are paramount, where everything's built from scratch. And the care and the detail of those fittings, um, and it was the most beautiful flowing, like it, it just, it gave me my character really, and it gave me my voice. And, and the red, you know, covering me up, and it was uh, beautiful Beautiful and, and and very comfortable. Yes, it was. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> I know, I know. No no tight little jumpsuits. Oh my goodness.
1: Not, were your scenes filmed uh outside or yours done in a soundstage? In a soundstage, com- entirely
0: in a soundstage. Yeah, a giant soundstage, down on the on the lake here in the city. Yeah, yeah. And very the set is very like you you, you don't know it's the set, like it's you know, it's very very private, very secretive.
1: Well, since you were on a soundstage, was that the same soundstage where they had the Discovery Bridge set and all of those kinds of things?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I, I got tours of all of it. Oh, it was so much fun. <sighs> um, it was yeah, and and everybody in the show, you know, they were all feeling very um, lucky to be part of the Star Trek team, yeah. like to be part of that show. Yeah.
1: That's the one thing we've heard across the board is all the actors who've appeared guest actors and I, I imagine also the full-time people there have all said it's one of the best experiences they have ever had on a set.
0: Yeah. And you know it's it's um it is it's it's you are doing theater. The text is difficult. It it is it's um it it really is a theatrical experience in the in every way which the show has always been. You know, when I think back to my favorite episode of Star Trek, which was with was the, the with Michael J. Pollard, and I'm sure you've heard that many times, but the planet with the kids, and he was like the Pied
1: Piper. It is Miri, yeah.
0: Eating, and he, na, 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 and it was so creepy.
1: Yeah, it's Ter- uh, season one Miri.
0: Is it? Season one. I remember that show so clearly, and his performance was terrifying. And, and, and large and theatrical. So yeah, the consistency of that to the show that I did, you know, just two years,
1: it's same. It's great. So your scenes were primarily with uh, Sonequa Martin-Green, Anson Mount, Oyen Oladejo, and guest star Andrew Moody. Uh, What do you remember about working together with them?
0: Uh, they were just so uh, open and generous. And that again, it's not always the case. Um, you know, that, you know, when you've been on a set, and you have been on a show day after day after day, it's really easy to just sort of, you know, you get very relaxed. And, and, you know, I've been on some experiences that were not all that friendly, and not all that this, I think, because of Jonathan and the producers, and just the whole, you know, nature of, you know, the the show. And, and I think because a lot of it is so ensemble, they're together a lot all the time. Um, It, it's, uh, it's, you know, it it was a, it was a great experience. And again, I, I wanted to, um, you know, be respected by that i wanted to rise to the occasion and 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 uh, be as good as i possibly could be you know which is always your job but um when there's a lack of tension on set sometimes uh, um it's easier just because it's more fun we're playing it's fun it you know it shouldn't be scary
1: (laughs) so did you get to spend any time off set or at least in between takes chatting with any of the main stars of the show
0: Oh yes, absolutely. And and then there was one scene that we shot outside where my church is. We went to a beautiful little town um, near Hamilton, which is just uh, west of Toronto, um, and we shot that when the with the fire and. Um, and the war and all that and and uh, that was lots of hanging around in beautiful location um you always get to hang out um you know but the before and after they were so busy and you know they had like months more to shoot i think um so you know i was just there as a guest star but i really felt uh really welcomed which was um,
1: fantastic now, did you watch the episode when it first aired on cbs all access Yes, and what what do you think of your performance?
0: I thought it was fine. Like it's 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 always it's always hard for me to watch it. I I I um, no, I thought it was great. I I always have to watch it a few times or not at all. Um, uh, it it was what I thought. It, I it, you know it's not always the way. Like it's not always what you think you're doing. But this one was. No, it was it was fine. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard to watch so, yourself. know,
1: it's just. <laughs> we've heard we've heard that plenty of times before too we know a lot of folks don't like to actually see themselves in the final product but uh yeah well, the, it's
0: i just watch myself the first time and look at chin lines and age and blah 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 and then the second time i'll go oh yeah it's a pretty good episode <laughs> <laughs> i watch everybody else
1: so 2019 was a big year for you besides just star trek discovery because that's also the same year season one of umbrella academy came out on netflix and so in honor of this interview i finally made an excuse to actually watch it and i'm so happy i did and uh, just so listeners can know right now, we're going to dive into Umbrella Academy a little bit. And since it is still a relatively new show, uh, we're going to talk about spoilers. So if you don't want to hear spoilers just yet, uh, just go ahead and fast forward till you hear the next commercial break. After that, we'll come back and talk about other stuff. But yeah, for now, we got to talk Umbrella Academy. So how did you get cast to be Agnes in the show?
0: Again, I went. I actually went to an audition. And I remember coming out of the room thinking, this part reminds me of Polly. From I've heard the mermaid singing, but she's now forty years older. (laughs) It had the same innocent voice, like Agnes had the same. And I thought, oh, that's a sweet that that I've. It's been a long time since I auditioned for something that it it had the same tone, and um, and I got it. And very much like the Star Trek experience, um, the showrunner slash producer called me and we had a long conversation and you know it was you know it it was um not the biggest part in the whole wide world but every part was important on that show and given the same um due and I was thrilled when I got it I, I I and then having watched Mindhunter to learn that I'd be working with Cameron Britton, who played the serial killer in Mindhunter, uh, which I didn't put two and two to my daughter. phoned me. She said, "Mom, you know who Cameron Britton is? Oh my God, you're playing you know, Ed, Ed Kemper's girlfriend." I'm like, oh "My God, um, he was terrifying." And then to work with Mary J. Blige, like, come on, yeah, is insane. Uh, and um, I had I also loved meeting one of my favorite actors in the world, who's Robert Sheehan um, from that wonderful show, um, The Misfits, The Misfit, Robert Sheehan in The Misfits. And if you haven't seen it, try and find it. His performance in that is like he just jumps off screen. So when I knew he was in Umbrella Academy, wow. And um, the first read-through, you know, powerhouse of people. And a very good friend of mine, Colin Fior, we've done Seasons in Stratford together, a fellow um, stratford Um, You know, he played the father of, of the five children in Umbrella, fabulous actor. And it was, uh, they got the creme de la creme of directors on this show. Nothing, no expense was spared. Big budget. Um, but again, uh a, a kind of a theatrical experience and um agnes was just a little dear heart to play
1: honestly it was so sweet did you happen to read the comics as research for this role
0: no i no. i well i met i met the, the comic writers and I, I think i think i read one or two of them but they were so different yeah um, and I, no i must admit i did
1: not <laughs> so did you meet then gerard way as well Yes, he did. So I'm sure today we're going to have a lot of My Chemical Romance fans listening because we mentioned Umbrella Academy. They're going to come flooding this podcast today. So can you tell us a story about Gerard Way, what it was like meeting him?
0: Um, He was so humble and so um, delighted to be – I I think he was at the first read-through. Or he might have even been at the rehearsal with Mary J. Blige and Cameron Britton and myself. But very quiet, very humble, and um, just like a kid in a candy store.
1: So the character of Agnes, she runs the donut shop. And I really liked your uh, analogy of saying she was kind of like the character from I've Heard the Mermaid Singing, but for, you know, a little bit later on in life. Uh, that's a really great way to put it, actually. Um, but yeah, she spends a lot of time with a lot of the principal cast, in fact, in that donut shop. And of course, you have the relationship with Hazel, Cameron Britton. Uh, right. So yeah, just, what stands out to you from the first season?
0: Um, you know, it was... Again, the bar was set really high. Well, first of all, I was so thrilled. Like I was 60 or 62 when I did Umbrella Academy, and Cameron is 30. <laughs> and I remember saying to the producer, to Jeff King, one of the producers, I said, "So is that a thing?" And he went, "No, it's not. No, we don't care. No." And I went, "Wow, that is so cool that the, you're not going to um, make that a thing." And it was never mentioned, and it was just pure love at first sight. On both of our parts and it was like this this sweet little island of love amidst the most violent show <laughs> and, and um, you know it was just great and 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 people really responded to our little relationship nobody ever said anything about the age difference it was just so awesome um, so that was cool um, so I decided not to care about it um, but again you know hanging out with Mary J Blige on set wow
1: <laughs> you know
0: um she was very concentrated very quiet and you know this i said to her what made you want to be in uh an action you know comic book tv show and she just said i want to kick ass and it was so like she just you know wanted to change it up and i, I mean i spent my whole career trying to do different things all to, all the time which i think we're allowed to do in canada maybe a bit more like i feel like in the states you get your your vaudeville hook and that's what you do but up here I don't know. I get, you know, I do cartoons and TV and theater, whatever. Anyway, she, that's why she wanted to do it. So she was just so cool. And, and for her, you know, this, this was um, a new medium for her too. She she was nominated for the Oscar and, and uh, you know, um, wrote the song for that beautiful film she did. Um, but to be in an action TV show is a whole different thing, whole different ball game. So, um, and she was, she was so, she was going, I'm, I I can't believe I get to work with actors who've had so much experience. I'm going, okay, Mary J. Blige. Okay. <laughs> sure Um, so, you know, mo- a lot of my stuff was isolated from the family. Like I, uh, I didn't get to work with Colin and I don't think I got to work with Robert, but, oh, I got to meet Robert Sheehan and hang out with him. And I'll tell you, he is, he is something else.
1: That whole cast is just Totally, totally amazing. I mean, yeah, David Castaneda, uh, Aiden Gallagher, um, yeah, and
0: Ellen Page. I met her. We there was a dinner the first night, and Mermaids. Okay, full circle. I've heard the Mermaids sing meant so much to her, and um, she'd worked with Patricia Rosema on a movie who did Mermaids, and so and so. You know, again, we had a lovely chat about that, and and uh, you know, very just so sweet. It was great.
1: Yeah, Ellen Page is one of my favorites as well. I'm so I'm so excited every time I see her in the show too mm
0: absolutely yeah great thrill it's great great part
1: so what's it like being tied to a chair having your mouth duct taped uh being hung over a jacuzzi
0: it was endless and i kept <laughs> saying okay i can't drink any more coffee because i need another bathroom break but it honestly everything took so long to shoot in that little honeymoon set that um it was great and the the, the poor guy who was um, hired to tie me up and untie me. He, he was one of the, one of the, um, um, you know, SWAT teams of, of people doing special effects on set and stuff. He was an ex NHLer hockey player, this cutest kid. Um, so we talked all about hockey because my husband now just loves hockey. And he was so thrilled that I was working with somebody who played professional <laughs> hockey. So I, um, that was, it was great. I mean, and, and uh, Everybody was, you know, are you okay? Are you okay? Can we get you any? I was fine. I, You know, I got to watch these incredible stunt people doing their stuff. And let me just say that Mary J. Blige did a lot of her own stunts and kicked ass.
1: So it was pretty great. The well, most important question about Umbrella Academy is how were the donuts and where did they come from?
0: <laughs> they were sprayed with spray and rock hard. Oh. <laughs> uh Yeah. No, when you serve donuts, you don't eat donuts. What's going on, everybody? It's your girl's favorite artist, Josie's boy. And I'm Alexis A. McCoy. And we are
2: the hosts of Call Me When It's Over.
0: We are more than just a podcast. We are a culture cast.
2: Yeah, so you can check us out every single Saturday with a brand new episode. We're available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Google Play.
0: And you can catch us on our homepage at ragsworksnetwork.com. And
2: don't forget to follow us on Instagram at underscore call me when it's over.
0: That's right. And as always, speak
1: up, speak out.
2: And leave your ego at the door. We now return to Trek Untold.
1: All right, so Sheila, in addition to all of your work on screen and TV and film, you've also done a lot of voiceover work that you've in cartoons that we've alluded to, including Rupert, Free Willy, which I forgot even had a cartoon, uh, Mm -hmm. Mythic Warriors, Anne of Green Gables, The Busy World of Richard Scarry, many, many, many others. What do you think is the voice you're most recognized for?
0: I did uh, a a cartoon um, called Harry the Tap Dancing Horse, where I played Little Pig. (laughs) (laughs)
1: there's more than that sentence i hope that's (laughs) a
0: little pig who cried a lot and um that was uh i i guess that that would be the one that would be the one it was really silly and really fun and 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 you know that stuff you know doing cartoons it's hard work you know it's very focused very concentrated you got to get that voice back every time It, it has its own world of tension like it's 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 great work to do but it's not easy i think people come oh you're just standing there and talking you know it's um it's it's fun but it's it's challenging too so i think harry the tap dancing horse i think that's what it was called Oh, it was
1: marvin the tap dancing horse actually yeah
0: marvin the tap marvin and you're you're reminding me of shows that i don't even remember doing so there you go
1: (laughs) according to imdb the character was elizabeth the emotional pig that's a name that's a name i have
0: Oh, they're oh, was so sweet.
1: <laughs> so I just want to know what parent names their child, the emotional pig. I mean, you're setting up a lifetime of of, of therapy.
0: No, no kidding. Oh, God. I know. It was really, really fun. But the the, the one other show I, I would love to mention that I did. Well, two other shows, TV shows, it, um, Emily of New Moon, which was part of the Lucy Maud Montgomery. She wrote Green Gable's oeuvre. And that was a TV series that I shot about 20 years ago, four seasons, but there were people on it like Michael Moriarty and Phyllis Diller and, um, uh, um, Oh, who played, um, Agent 99 from get smart, Barbara Felden. And, um, we had a lot of, uh, it was a beautiful, uh, 1890s TV series that, that, that was very important to me. Um, and, and, Starred Martha McIsaac, who ended up in Superbad with Emma Stone, um, but Emily was her first show, and she's like my third daughter. So that show was very important to me. And and one other show that I don't I think it played in Hulu on the state in the states, but it was it's called Little Mosque on the Prairie.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that one. In fact, because you know, looking at the resume that you have here, uh, unfortunately, a lot of it is stuff that didn't come over to America, and Little Mosque was one of those shows that had a brief run, but very brief.
0: Very brief. Well, you know, it's a controversial show. It's about Muslims who take up um, a, a, a little mosque in the basement of an Anglican church, and it's about two worlds coming together. And really, it was about, you know, Muslim men snore too. Like you know, it was a sitcom. I played kind of like Lucy to 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 De- to Ricky um, in the show. is a very gentle kind of Green Acres comedy about two diametrically opposed. Um, ways of life coming together. And it was a beautiful six year run of, of, um, of something that, that it was political, but it, but it wasn't, it didn't hit you over the head. You know what I mean? And, and I was sad that, the, that it didn't play in the States, but you know, it's just, it played around the world. 68 different countries have aired. It's still airing. And it was an important show and a I don't think it would get done now, sadly. It's you absolutely
1: know. a show to be very, very proud of. I mean, I wish I could actually have seen it because it sounds like it's a very interesting, uh, unique type of show.
0: Yeah, you know, honestly, it was it was pretty cute. Like it was really, you know, we were. It was a small little town. It was just a sweet little comedy that happened to have. It was very inadvertent the Muslim thing, and 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 that's what the producers wanted in order to educate. Like it was just great.
1: So Sheila, what would be the best day on set that you've ever had? And then the worst day on set you've ever had?
0: The worst day on set I ever had, I was doing a little Disney, not little. I was doing a Disney movie called Paradise with Melanie and Don Johnson. Don wasn't very happy with what I was doing. And every time the cameras rolled, you know what? It was just, we were very different. And every time the cameras rolled, he just said, talk to me, baby. And it just threw me. And that was—I just remember—I thought this day will never end. That was not a great day. That was that was a, that was a scary day on a big Disney movie. I remember feeling very nervous, um, but we we were fine after that. It was just—it was his first day, and you know you don't know people. It's just interesting. But she, Melanie Griffith, was just delicious and wonderful. Um, let's see the best day on film ever. Um, it was. It was being in the kick line at the end of stepping out on stage at the big tap dance recital with Liza Minnelli, where arm in arm, she looked at me and she said, if I could stay in this kick line forever, I would. Wow. I'll never forget that. Because, you know, when you have those great moments, you do want them to just last forever, you know, and they become memories, great memories.
1: The one thing I could say about uh, your style of acting in particular that I've noticed is there's a real earnestness to all of your characters that you put into them. Uh, I find there's real earnestness, there's a real practicality, but there's also still a little bit of a mystery behind them, which I find very interesting. You know, Where does that come from with the, with your roles? Where does that come from in the way that you portray these people?
0: I I, I worked with a great director many years ago um, who was the artistic director at Stratford Festival, uh, Robin Phillips. And Robin was from England, and he brought over Peter Ustinov and Maggie Smith to the Stratford Festival, and he was... Um, an eccentric, uh, just so intelligent director. And he talked a lot about keeping secrets. Um, And really I would credit him for teaching me almost everything I do now. Like I I think about his voice and think, what would Robin have me do? So um, I think I've always been attracted to other actors who, sort of walk that line between heart and, and mystery a little bit. And um, I also being married to Pete for 28 years, he was sort of my bullshit, you know, uh, what's the word uh, tester, like he would know, he'd say, no, that's that. Yeah, I'm not buying that. And so he, he, he was my great leveler. Uh, so I would say Robin Phillips, you know, and along the way working with great people who just kind of hold something back, but that's, you know, I don't know. Um, it's it's a lot to do with the parts I get. I was never the pretty girl. I was never the, the Debbie next door, blonde, blue eyed girl. And I think that, that, that has changed now in our business. Thank goodness. But I think when I was starting out and especially down in Los Angeles, I was quirky. I was the funny girl. I was the, you know, we've got a, I used to hear from people, well, we got a visual problem. <laughs> and you go, okay, I get it. So that, uh, you know, probably had something to do with a vulnerability. And I never minded how I looked. I mean, I think now, funnily enough, I'm, I'm working more than I ever have. Well, aside from COVID, um, because I have grown into my face, weirdly. And and I also have never done anything to my face, so uh, I kept meaning to, when I was shooting Little Mosque. I kept meaning to have Botox, and then I just forgot. Um, so I well, just, you don't need it. I know. Well, you know, but you know, it was that thing. Oh God, watching. he said you watch yourself, and you go, eh. but you know what? It is my bread and butter. So, um, there you go. I I I think it's a lot of those best girlfriend parts with the heart of gold who don't get the guy. Those were a lot of the parts I have played on stage and in film and TV. And they're kind of the best parts.
1: But I mean, on the other side, too, it's not, you know, it's not just that. I even say there's a bit of charisma. There's a lot of charisma. Uh, char- that's not a word. There's a lot of charisma in a lot of the roles <laughs> you've had, like with Polly. Uh, even with Agnes, there's this, this kind of like magnetic charisma that you always seem yeah. to exude in these parts. I find very interesting.
0: Well, it's it's I love doing them. So that, I guess yeah
1: so for any aspiring actors today that are listening to this episode uh, what advice would you give to them if they want to break into this industry and last and have a career like you've had
0: oh boy (laughs) okay the first thing I always tell students is if you can think of anything else to do do it (laughs) because it is not for the faint of heart it is I still wake up at three o'clock in the morning Oh, we didn't talk about this, but my very first audition in Los Angeles was I screen tested with Kevin Costner for A Field of Dreams. Like, oh, wow. ridiculous. And I had just had a baby. Like, my mom and I flew out. Like, literally, Mackie was three days old. It was ridiculous. Um, and I didn't get it. They, they didn't think I was Midwestern <laughs> enough was what came down the pipe. But I still think about that. I still think like I've had for, for everything that you've talked about today that I've done and you know, I've been doing it for a long time. There are hundreds of parts I didn't get. And that is so, there've been so many times when I have thought, Oh man, I got to think about something else to do. And I really could never think about anything else other than maybe clean houses. or it's, I don't know what. And I just, kept at it and you know so I've had fallow periods of not working when you are an actor you spend a lot of time not working and you spend a lot of time looking for work so that's always been my advice if you have to do it then get ready and don't and I continually have learned this do not wait for that phone to ring it will not ring there are too many of us forget about it it's you got to – It's a business. You are a business. You are an enterprise, and you are your product. And you gotta, you know, keep at it. I I still do. And that, you know, my letter writing to Bruce Willis, I, I, I've I've written letters like that many times. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it. I got being Julia with Annette Benning because I wrote the director a very heartfelt letter, just saying it was the most beautiful audition I'd ever had. Thank you so much. I wasn't being sycophantic. I just like like the guy was so classy and um and then he he cast me which was you know ridiculous because I had to do a british accent and I'm not very good at that but anyway I ended up doing it and I'm just saying that you know it's it's a tough old road and it's getting tougher theater who knows when it will be back um and you know you really 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 have to want to do
1: it 150% so outside of continuing to audition for roles in various new things, uh, you said you're also teaching nowadays.
0: Mm-hmm. And I've actually started directing on stage. I I've, I've directed a production of Pinocchio at Christmas and uh, like, I don't really want to be on stage anymore, but I love, so I've done like six or seven shows um, as a director and that's been so much fun for me. I, I really just love it. And um, I hope once theater gets back on its feet that, that, that that'll keep happening. And, you know, um, I I love teaching young I teach yeah young kids it's uh they inspire me um you know it's 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 fun it's it's again um it doesn't put me
1: in the hot seat it's just great fun to see see what's coming up now beyond the entertainment industry uh, you're also involved in something called a quilt project correct
0: uh, that yeah, that, that, that's that been and gone now, but that was a quilt project uh, raising money for breast cancer for years and years and years. And like everything, those have shelf lives. So I did that in Stratford for, for many, many years, but I'm a, I'm a, uh, on the arts committee for a, a organization called Megan's hug that um, is raises um, hmm. millions of dollars for brain tumor research in children, which is the single largest um, cause of death in children. And, Um, we do an annual hug around hospitals and it's, it's sort of metaphoric hug around the hospital, but it is an incredible thing to do. And um, all the kids in the hospital come to the window with their nurses or, and, and wave. And let me tell you it, I get so much more out of it than I give. Like it is an incredible experience. So Megan's hug um, is hopefully coming your way soon where American husband, hospitals will be given the opportunity to find their megan in their city and hug hospitals it's it's a
1: beautiful thing and for our listeners today who want to learn more about it or potentially uh support this organization how do they find out more about megan's hugs
0: um you know what i will send you because um it was megan's walk now it's megan's hug and we're just transitioning with our own charity number so i will send you uh the link but actually megan'shug.com will probably get you there
1: so Sheila, what is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe?
0: The best thing, well, well, the legacy that it is to have been, the, uh, you know, just a small part of of the legacy that is Star Trek. It's one of the most important shows that's that's ever been on television. It's 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 you know um, through the decades has remained um, at the forefront of some of the best television and filmmaking ever so the you know just to have been a small part of it
1: um is is amazing so aside from teaching right now uh, sheila you're also doing some other things these days right so what's up next for you in the pipeline
0: well i sort of have in the last two years I've become the horror queen i've done three horror movies in a row one's called isabel one's called um Cardinals, which is somewhat horrorish, and But the third one I just finished is called Anything for Jackson. And that is going to be on Super Channel starting
1: in the fall. Do you guys get Super Channel? We do not get Super Channel, but now I wish I did because that sounds great.
0: Yeah, you know what? When I get the link, I'll send it to you. And there, there will be uh, an American release on this. Yeah. So it was really fun. It was just, you know, grandparents trying to bring their grandchild to life um, with exorcisms and ghosts. It was just ridiculous and so much fun. (laughs) So I'm the new horror queen now, apparently.
1: Well, you were. You went from Elizabeth the emotional pig now to screaming lady in horror
0: films. (laughs) Exactly.
1: All right. So Sheila, thank you so much for being with us here today on Trek Untold. Uh, Thanks so much for running through so many of your career highlights. And we look forward to seeing you again in these new horror movies you're working on and anything else that happens for you beyond 2020 once the world gets back to normal.
0: Thank you so much. You were great. Thanks, Matthew. Bye.
1: That was our chat today with the lovely Sheila McCarthy, who's been in some very interesting productions that haven't left your country. So I do suggest if you liked what you've seen her in so far and you liked hearing her stories, really go ahead and hunt down some of our work if you can. We spent so much time today talking about it. I've heard the mermaid singing. So really, if you can find a way to get a hold of that, I definitely recommend it. And by the way, the name of that group that Sheila's working with now is Megan's Hug, and you can visit them online at meganshug.com, and that's spelled meaganshu G.com. The location of the exteriors for New Eden were shot at Balls Falls Conservation Area Historic Village in Lincoln, Ontario, Canada. According to an article from the Niagara Independent, the crew spent 20 grand to use and film on this beautiful locale. The conservation area is one of 42 in the Niagara region and has been used for other shows, including Murdoch Mysteries, The Story of Us, and the TVO kid show Dino Dana. If you're one of those folks that likes to visit actual locations used to film Star Trek, this is definitely one to add to your list, especially when you consider just how relaxing a place like this is. And if you don't mind taking a bit of road trip while you're up there, why not check out Vulcan, Alberta? No, it's not really named after that group of aliens, but hey, no reason you can't pretend. Star Trek Discovery is the first Star Trek filmed outside of California, with much of the principal shooting happening in the Pinewood Toronto studios. Other spots the crew have used included Hilton Falls and Kelso Conservation Areas in Milton, Lafarge Quarry, and Scarborough Bluffs Park in Toronto. This didn't just become a tourism brochure for Star Trek fans, but really, the locations are all very nice, and I wouldn't mind taking a trip to Canada sometime to check them out myself. So if you do get a chance to go on up there, take some pics, and go ahead and tag us on Instagram to let us know. And don't forget to bring your phasers, you never know when you might run into a big grizzly bear somewhere. Thank you again for listening to this week's episode of Trek Untold. Please make sure you follow us on social media to see all of our memes and daily guest updates, and who knows what else, because you never know what pops up on our pages. All you have to do is look for Trek Untold on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, and hear what you think about this week's episode. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out patreon.com slash trekuntold to learn how you can keep our ship operating at full power. You can also check out some of our merchandise at teespring.com slash stores slash trekuntold. That's T-E-E spring.com. That includes shirts, stickers, mugs, phone cases, and a whole lot more. But most importantly, if you haven't already, Please subscribe to this show and give us a review and rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. If you enjoy what we do here every week on this show, please give us a five-star rating and review. It's the best way to make new listeners discover this podcast and help us grow. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions. If you'd like to send us some feedback, suggest a guest, would like to be booked on the show, or are interested in sponsoring us, email me at trekuntold at gmail.com. Once again, this has been Trek Untold. I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and until next time, fortune favors the bold.